Psalm 62, superscription says to the choir master, according to Jejuthun, a psalm of David. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me invite our children up. All right, you'll want to stand back just a little bit because you're going to have to move. You have to move a little bit, so you want a little bit of space. All right. See if you can repeat after me, okay? That's not bad. Let's try it one more time. Pretty good. I want to ask you a question. What is prayer? Now, I'm going to teach you the answer, okay? You ready? And then we clapped and we slapped our thighs for this reason. See if you can repeat after me. I'm going to say it two times, and then I want you to say it. Are you ready? Prayer is an offering up. Prayer is an offering. Good. You guys are super smart. Ready? Let's try it again. Prayer is an offering up. Prayer is an offering our desires to God, our desire. So prayer is an offering up our desires to God. Let's do it together. Ready? Prayer is an offering up our desires to God. One more time. Prayer is an offering up our desires to God. You guys are super great at that. Now, here's the challenge. Here's the hard part. I want you to go ask your parents to spend some time with you this afternoon Offering up your desires to God. Okay? Thank you all. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word, which is our hope. It is our, uh, it is our rock and in it we find salvation, O oh God, because it is from you. It is from your mouth. And so as we study these things this morning, I ask that you would give clarity and wisdom 
and grace and mercy, conviction, admonition, uh, Lord, even, even pour out upon us, uh, Lord, rebuke where it is needed. Oh God, may you use me simply as an instrument in your hand today. May you take this people, this blood-bought people, and you would transform them. And may you take those that are here this morning that are not Christians, and you would adopt them into your family, even, even, this, even these, in these next few moments together. Do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do. For the glory of God we pray. Amen. So I will ask you all the same question before I get to the answer there. What is prayer? And we're going to spend some time studying this together over the next few weeks uh, because I think it's an important thing uh, that we know what that is, that we teach our children what that is, that as we move forward as a congregation, as a local uh, body of Christ, that we would unite in prayer. So what, what is prayer? What would the people at your workplace, what would your family say prayer is? Is it simply hopeful wishes and thoughts? Like we see so many times when tragedies happen and you get on Facebook and you see people sending their prayers. And most of the time, that's what it is. Simply hopeful wishes, hopeful thoughts. Is prayer uh, just simply another form of meditation? You know, is it, is it simply a self-focused positivity? A lot of people think of it that way. Uh, a lot of atheists will tell you that prayer is a good thing because meditation is a good thing. And that's just the way that you do it. That's okay. As long as you're thinking positive thoughts, as long as you're building yourself up. Probably a lot of people that you work with think of prayer that way. Or they might think that prayer is simply the delusions of a brainwashed religious zealot. Prayer is a waste of time. It's just, it's just you in your enthusiasm praying to somebody who is not there. What is prayer? What is it? How would you explain it to somebody if, if somebody who was not a Christian came to you and said, what is this thing that you all do as Christians in praying? How is it, how is it different from what the Buddhists do? How is it different from what the Muslims do? How is it different from what I do? A prayer comes from the same origin as the word precarious, which basically means dependent on chance. Precarious is not something we, we have a positive connotation of. And I would guess that many of us have that practical definition of prayer. Something that's just dependent on chance. Why? Why do I think that? Because when you think about your Christian experience, typically the first thing to go, the very first thing to go when you start to move away from God in your daily walk is your prayer life. That's my experience. I, I, I admit to that. Part of the reason I'm doing this study on prayer is simply to preach to myself. I remind myself the importance of this and to hold fast uh, this, this blessing that God has given us that we can come to Him in prayer. But you have to ask yourself the question and you have to ask the people in your life around you, is it real? 
Is prayer real? Does it have actual power behind it? Does it really affect anything? Now, probably the most important thing to think about when we think about what prayer is, is what does the Bible say that prayer is? As you've got a sneak peek at the, the catechism here. This is what the, the Baptist catechism says in question 105. What is prayer? Prayer is an offering up our desires to God. That's why I taught your children that this morning, by the way. By the assistance of the Holy Spirit, four things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, believing with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Now, as with, as with any orthodox biblical confession or catechism in this case, this is not a man-made definition. Oh, sure, on one hand, men gathered together and they put this particular wording together, but each one of these statements is pulled directly from Scripture. And we will look at each one of these statements in turn over the next few weeks. And, and the great thing about this is, is that you and I can immediately apply these biblical truths to our lives today. <laughs> you can apply it right now if you don't want to listen to my sermon. You can just spend this time in prayer. Probably not a good idea. But you'll have an opportunity this afternoon. You'll have an opportunity as soon as the sermon is over to put this into use to respond to God. And so today we say prayer is an offering up our desires to God. And so where do we get that idea? Well, one place in scripture is Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then, of course, it says Selah there, and we'll get into the Psalms, and we'll talk about Selah and what, what, what that means, but that's for another time. In the context of Psalm 62, I do want to focus mostly on verse 8, but just so you know the context, this is a, a song, a prayer of David to God in the midst of his struggle. David knew much struggle, especially the, uh, this, this attack from outsiders, And as he's attacked by these outsiders, he reminds his own soul of God and his promises. If you've ever felt weird when you remind yourself of the truth of God's promises and you think, why am I talking to myself? Well, you're in good company with David and the other psalmist, so it's okay. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves, pointing ourselves to the word of God. And as God's anointed one, David knew many such attacks He knew attacks after he was anointed the king of Israel, but before he actually came to the throne, Saul was still on the throne. He knew many attacks when he was on the throne and Absalom came to usurp the throne from him. He was constantly at war with outside nations and with his own people at times. And so he reminded himself, not just himself, because the Psalms are corporate, a corporate prayer, a corporate song. He reminded himself and the people of God that with God, there is true justice, true justice, even when appearances would suggest otherwise. And of course, one of the most frightening verses is the last one in which God will render to each person according to what he or she has done. All of this psalm points to Christ. All of this 
points to God's ultimate anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who would also undergo perils and attack from outsiders and from his own people. But in perfect obedience, would this anointed one trust God alone for his deliverance, for his glory, and for his refuge? In that, he is, in, he is our example. We look to Christ as our example. And his taking our place in death and judgment renders to us eternal life according to his obedience, not our own. And in that, he is our Savior. And so with that, that's a ridiculously quick summation of the context. I want to focus now on four ideas in David's call to the people of God in verse 8. He says, At all times, number one. Number two, we are to trust in God. Number three, we are to pour out our heart, pour out your heart before him. And then fourthly, because God is our refuge. So I want to focus on each one of those in turn. Number one, all times to trust. Number three, pour out your heart. And number four, God is our refuge. So number one, all times. When are we supposed to trust in the Lord? When do we do that? Pretty easy to answer, right? At all times. But so often when we say things like that, we just gloss over and fail to meditate on just what that means for you and for me. All times means so much more than just our first glance. It means times of attack, times when we are personally or spiritually attacked. Just like David in Psalm 62, we remember that these words are not the words of an indifferent, inexperienced counselor sitting in his office telling you to go read your Bible and pray. Maybe you've experienced that before. But when David and ultimately the Holy Spirit says these things, this is not that same experience. These are the words of a shepherd warrior king who spent more time than you and I ever will running and fighting for his very life. David knew what it was like to be attacked and in that attack to trust in God. And as I said, more importantly, these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is God's direct revelation to his people. The word of God is not simply just good advice you understand. The word of God is power. And so when you read and when you study and when you memorize and when you store it up in your heart, you're not just storing up generic proverbs or good thoughts to meditate on, but the actual power of God in your life. In the midst of attack, you can and you should trust in and pray to God. We are trusting God at all times in times of of rejoicing Psalm 108, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The the joy of the psalmist is just incredibly evident in those words that he has seen and he has known as he experienced the the love and the steadfast faithfulness of God. And so he prays in those moments. Is that your thought when things are going well and you just want to rejoice? 
to spend those moments praising God in a faithful prayer. Pray and trust in the Lord in times of rejoicing. What a, what a refreshing joy it is to bring your worship before the Father who delights in you and who answers you as you pray to him. We trust in God at all times, in times of deep, deep sorrow. In Psalm 88, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And if you know the rest of Psalm 88, if you don't know it, go read it this afternoon and and see what that looks like to be in a deep, sorrow that probably you've never experienced. The psalmist goes on to lay out before the Lord the sorrows of his soul, most dreadful human suffering and the depths of despair. And it doesn't end well at the end of Psalm 88, but thankfully Psalm 88 is not the end of the Psalms. God is there amidst the suffering and the darkness. When should you pray and trust in the Lord? Oh, brothers and sisters, friends, in those deep, dark hours where few of you probably, few of you have been in your life where you've descended, but even as you descend to the deepest depths of depression or the deepest depths of despair, that's where Christ is. That's where he is waiting for you because he has taken on the deepest, darkest sins that you've committed and he has borne them and suffered for them. Nobody may know your particular situation, but Christ knows because he has taken that on himself. We trust in God at all times, in times of just ordinary mundane life, which is probably most of your life. Is God there in the midst of just normal working life? David tells us in Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It's what I teach my children when they are fearing in the middle of the night and they're scared and I remind them, I can't be with you at all times, but Christ can. There's no place that you can go where Christ is not. There's no no time in your life when God is not there. He knows every day of your life, right? David goes on to say, in, in, in your book are written every day of my life. You know every one of them. God is sovereign over them all. And he never leaves you. He never leaves you, his beloved. So trust in him in the mundane, in the ordinary moments of life, for he is there. And pray to him in those moments. Pray to him as you're washing the dishes. Pray to him as you're changing diapers. Pray to him as you're in the middle of another boring meeting at work that could have been an email. Pray to him at all times because he's there. The comfort for you who are believers in Christ, there's nowhere you can go where he is not. And even if your life is not as exciting as you would want it to be, even if the job that you have is not what you want it to be, even if the circumstances of your life are not what 
you want them to be. There he is in the midst of your daily life. So, church, acknowledge him. Trust in him at all times, in times of doubt. Seems counterintuitive that if you doubt the love of God, if you doubt even the existence of God, that you would pray to him. But that's exactly what scripture points you to. That when you are doubting, when you're not sure, you go to God and you pray to him and you trust in him, even when you don't think you can. Psalm 42, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When you are tempted to doubt either or both yourself and and God, this is the time to cry out to him in prayer. You're not sure of your salvation cry out to him in prayer. You're not sure if his steadfast love really does endure. You're not sure how you're going to make it through the next day, the next week, the next year, the next moment. Pray to God, cry out to him in prayer. Place your trust in that which you don't understand. Why? What does it even mean to trust in this time or in any of these times? What does it mean to number two, trust? Well, we all know what it means to trust someone or something, but meditate again, slow down, meditate on what this actually implies. When you trust someone or something, it's the, it's got a flavor of looking outside of yourself for something that you don't possess. That's what it means. You don't trust yourself. That doesn't, that doesn't really work because to trust means that you're looking out. You realize that you don't possess the ability to save yourself. You realize that you don't really possess the ability to find comfort in yourself and so on. And as you trust, it has the flavor of, of knowing even though you're not, you may not be 100% sure, you know that whatever it is you trust, the outside source has a strength that is beyond you and that will carry you. To trust someone is an admission of humility. It's an admission of insufficiency. It's you saying, I don't know better. And that's hard for us who are proud people to say. We, we hear this verse quoted all the time, but to actually apply it is a little bit more difficult. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Do we pray in such a way, church? Do we pray with that in mind, 
Do you see what follows from such a trust as you pray? You trust in the Lord. Therefore, you necessarily go to him in prayer. And if you trust in him and you pray to him, you necessarily then obey him because you want to do his will. There are times when it doesn't seem to work out that that way, but you go to him again then in prayer and you trust that his word is right. And so you obey his word. And when we obey God, it says he will make straight your paths. He will bring healing and refreshment to your bones. So does this mean that I get whatever I want simply because I trust, pray, and then obey? Psalm 37, 3 and 4, right? says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, part of the beauty of becoming a Christian, when you dwell and think about verses like these, part of the beauty of becoming a, a, a follower of God is that you don't stay the way that you are. You can't. You're reborn. You, 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 you were dead, right? Ephesians 2, you're, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You were, you were slaves to sin, slaves to disobedience, slaves to the, the prince of the power of the air. We all of us walked in these sins, but now, but now God has made us alive in Christ. And so you, beloved, don't stay the same. All the world is searching for something that will validate us. All the world is searching for something that will tell us that we, we really are lovely people, that we really are worthy people. We're searching. The world is searching for something that sees us for what we are. And when it looks into the deepest, darkest parts of our hearts, sees that we are all that we ever wanted to be. That's what the world is searching for. That's what the movies are, are teaching. That's, what that's the stories that we want to hear. That's the, that's the songs that we want to hear. But the truth is just the opposite. The truth is that the deeper we dig within ourselves the less loveliness we see. The deeper we dig within ourselves, the less worth we see within us. And you can fight against that thought all you want, but deep down, none of us are good. And so the beauty of becoming a Christian is this, that God knows you entirely. God does see those deepest, darkest parts of you. He sees, he sees into the darkness of the soul that you don't even see, that you don't even realize is there. And seeing that, he loves you. He gives his son, Jesus Christ, for you and makes you lovely and makes you worthy. He rescues you. You see, brother and sister in Christ, I'm speaking to you, not, not those are not, that are not Christians. Brother and sister in Christ, I can say to you, you are lovely. Not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you possess. You are lovely because God sets his love on you. You trust in the Lord and you get the desires of your heart because your desires are changed. And God gives you those right desires. You delight in the Lord 
and you want to obey him. You delight in the Lord and you want to keep his word. You want to obey his law. You want to follow after him. Even if you stumble along the way, because we all do, ultimately our deepest desire is to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That is what we desire. Our desires have been changed. So what necessarily follows when you trust in the Lord at all times You pour out your heart. You pour out your heart. How do we pray like that? Let me give you a couple of pictures of what pouring out your heart looks like. It can look like Israel when they were in the midst of slavery, in the midst of bondage. Lamentations 2, arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. And then in Isaiah 26, O Lord in distress, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. You understand in the midst of this context, which we don't understand, we don't know what it's like to have our children go hungry. You might, but most of us probably don't know what it looks like to have that kind of suffering that Israel went through under the discipline of the Lord. And so what did those of those, those that were faithful to God do? They poured out their heart. Was was it simply just a, God, this is not the ideal situation. Could you do something about it? Amen. This was not that type of flavor at all. It 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 was a, as he says, poured out like water. This idea of just giving everything over to God, pouring out all the desires, saying to God, here is our situation. You have promised us. You have made a promise that you cannot break because your word says you will. And yet here we are suffering. Why, God? Why do you, do you, do you treat us like this? Why? And so they pour out these prayers to God. And even in times like in Isaiah, when when they can't, they may not even be able to lift their voices. They pour out a whispered prayer. They pour out everything they have. Did they hold back? Did they hold back like you and I do in our prayers when we go to God? And we go, well, I don't really have time to do this this morning. I guess I'll hop on to work or I, I, don't, really, I don't really have a whole lot to say. Pour out your heart to God. Here's another picture for you like like Christ did when he took his disciples in Matthew 26. And he said, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you think about the sacrifice of Christ, pouring out his blood, pouring out ultimately his love in this new covenant? Is it simply 
Is it simply like the, the picture that we have of, of the little cup where it's just, it's a little bit of, of juice? Or is it Christ fully pouring out his life, fully pouring out such that is sufficient for the entire world, such that it covers the sins? Did he hold back? Did Christ hold back when he poured out his life for his children, for his one day be brothers? Poured out like the Holy Spirit. You think about in Acts 2, 1 through 4. When Luke writes, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You think about God pouring out his Holy Spirit on his people. There in Acts 2, was the Spirit quenched in that moment? Were the people afraid of, of, of seeming too excited? Was the spirit held back? Now, we talked about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, but even if our gatherings are less exciting than what it looked like at Pentecost, is the miracle of a rebirth, of the giving of the Holy Spirit, is the joy any less poured out when we gather together and we baptize a brother or sister in Christ and we see that sign that we proclaim that here is, here is another believer, here is another one that the Spirit has filled and will use for the glory of God. Our joy shouldn't be any different. Our, our, our wonder and marvel at the miracle of salvation should not be any different just because the sign may not look quite the same, the joy is there. God freely pours out his spirit, freely pours out his spirit on all those that would ask. And let me give you one more picture. Think about when God pours out his wrath. In Revelation 16, then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went, poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood and I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. You understand that when Scripture, when the psalmist when uh, all the writers tell us to pour ourselves out in prayer, understand that God has already poured himself out, holding nothing back, giving his blood, giving his life so freely, giving his spirit to all who believe and to all those who do not believe. A complete, an eternal, and a just 
wrath. And here's the, here's the great thing though. If you're not a believer this morning, or as you're talking with people who are not believers in your life, let them know that at this very moment, right now, you can pour your heart out before God and be saved. You can pour your heart out recognizing that you are a sinner and that you need to repent and that you cannot save yourself and that Jesus Christ is the only way and trust in him and believe in him and you will be saved. And if you're a Christian this morning, which I pray most of you are, then you should pour your heart out completely before a holy God. If he has done so for you, why will you not do so for him? Why would you not want to? Why would you not want to share your desires with God? He's like a loving parent. <laughs> he's, he's, he's listening with attention, patiently listening to us as we come before him. He listens to us as Jesus described in, in, in Luke 11, right? If we know how to give good gifts to one another, then how much, so, so much more does God know how to listen and give the spirit to those who would come before him, who pour out their hearts before him, to him in prayer? I just, that, that, mar, that floors me every time I read that, reading that with my children recently in Luke 11, and just being reminded, I love my children so much. I love them so much, and I want to give them good things. And yes, I become impatient with them, and no, I'm not perfect, and I mess up, but I love them, and I want to pour out these good gifts. And to think about the distance between that and my heavenly Father looking upon me, loving me, wanting to pour out the Spirit upon me. What a joy to think about the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of God's love for His people. And lastly, in Him alone will we find our refuge. Just imagine for a moment, what if you could somehow fix the apparent problems in the world? This is, this is what so many of your coworkers and, and people that are not believers, this is what they're trying to do. What if you could put the right president in place? What if you could just fix the U.S.? If we could just get the right candidate, whoever it is for you, if we could just get that, that person there, then things would be okay, right? If we could just elect the right representatives that would do the right thing, if we could just elect the right senators, that would do the right thing. If we could just put the right judges, if we could get enough judges in place, then things will be okay. What would happen to your, to your faith then? Would it wane? Because things are being fixed. What if you could fix your marriage? What if you could take all the conflict that you have, all the selfishness that your partner has, and, and fix it, and it'd be gone. What if you could do that? Would that bring you peace? What if you could have the right job? What if you could have the right amount of income? 
not too much, just enough to be satisfied and, and be comfortable? What, what if you could have the friends that you've always wanted never be lonely again? I ask those questions because I want to know what it is we are hoping in practically. We can stand up here all day and say that we hope and trust in God alone. But then when it comes to looking at our lives and how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what our prayer life looks like, that tells us a bit more practically. And I want you to understand if you're under the impression that somehow God is a path to these things. That's not how it works. God is not simply an avenue to where you get good gifts and the good gifts are the end. He's not the path to the things you want. If you're here simply because you think that if you pray enough and you, and you attend church enough and you sing enough of the right songs and say enough of the right prayers that, that you'll get what you selfishly desire, that's not right. You see, because all of Scripture points to the fact that God Himself, God Himself is our refuge. Not a perfect government, not a perfect marriage, not a perfect job, not a perfect life. God Himself is our refuge. It's like what Peter said here in John 6. Jesus had just revealed the shocking truth again of his, of his body and blood in order to follow him. It would require the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood. And all those disciples looked at him and said, what? You're crazy. We're not going to follow you anymore. And so many turned away. And so Jesus turned to the twelve. And he said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the attitude. Now, Peter would mess up, right? He was going to mess up, but God held on to him. That's the attitude that we are called to have when we look at the, the crises around us and we realize that uh, we can't fix ourselves and we can't do and we can't have what we want. We can't, we can't, things are so bad and, and, and we simply go, Lord, to whom shall we go? Who else can we go? There is no other place to go because Jesus is our eternal life. We have believed he is the Holy One of God. He is our refuge. And it's like when Thomas asked Jesus, the way to the Father. Right? We have, we, we've not seen him. And Jesus says, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You understand because Jesus is God. He is God, the Son, and God is our refuge Brother and sister, I know you have other desires in your heart. I know you are called to pour them out, and you should, and I want you to do that, but ultimately it is God that you long for. If you are a believer, that He is what you long for. He is the only thing that will satisfy. He is what you were created for. So I, I call to you, and to myself, pray to him this day 
this moment right now. And that's what we're going to do. I just want to spend a moment giving you the opportunity. I know you've got squirrely and, and, and squirmy kids. But I ask that you would spend just a few moments in prayer and just pour your out, pour your heart out before God. And then we'll sing together and we'll, we'll, we'll pray in song as we pray for Jesus to keep us near the cross. Let's pray.